1: If people only knew what just happened behind the scenes, there are a multitude of things are happening. But good morning to you. IB Countdown to Kickoff is up and rolling. He is Vince D'Addario in his Milky Whites. I'm Sean Styers wearing my, my blue from head to toes. There are, one, we had a couple technical things outside of our control. But two, as I just discovered, there are a couple new feature buttons. And I think I accidentally... When I thought we were going live about three minutes ago, we we just did a test run of the start of the show, by we the did. way. And then Vince recognized, I'm glad you recognized it when you did, and, and we didn't do an hour of this show that wasn't recording and live, but we are live. Good morning to you, wherever you happen to be. Brent in Monterey. There was someone else in New Jersey. I think there was someone in North Carolina who chimed in. Derek, of course, is always happy to see Vince's white sweatshirt. Good to see you, Vince. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to everybody else as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, we did it. We had a great open, by the way, that you all you missed. It you was did. a great open. We were... The first open is better late.
1: than this open. I'll tell you that much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, look, it, it was a great open. I I, I I couldn't find my white sweatshirt. My wife had done the, the sweep of the laundry. I was looking right. all over for it. And then we can't hear each other. And it was just, it was chaos. It was chaos. Total yeah.
1: chaos. Total chaos. Maybe it's the snow outside. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe that's what it is.
2: I'm going. I'm going to try to blend in with the snow.
1: Andrew down in Florida. Tyler, who I believe is also uh, stationed down in Florida, if I remember right. And uh, we've got Eastern Pennsylvania Sparks fifty two nineteen. We've got David out in the state of Washington. Glad to have everyone with us wherever you happen to be. Today. It is snowy. It is cold yeah. here in South Bend. Final home game of the season, of course, that makes it senior day. Notre Dame and Boston College, 2 30 today at Notre Dame Stadium. We'll talk about senior day and, you know, all that kind of stuff in a bit. We might as well just address the weather right off the top, though. Rob wants to know what effect today's weather might have on the game. What do you think, Vince?
2: You know, I don't know if it's going to have a huge effect. I think that I am going to be very cold if I was sitting out in the stands which I'm very happy that I'm not uh Brian I uh, did Brian call you and ask you about uh he had some Brian had some tickets he's like hey if you want to take your son you guys can go sit in the stands you know the whole thing and I'm like it's <laughs> the worst possible week that you could ask me that question but I'll ask him
1: this Thank is not you. no good
2: Lord that, that would not be enticing
1: game. Game. to me you know having I you know I took I took Jesse a few times when he was young yeah, I would yeah. like you know, give up the press pass to somebody yep. else. I, and I was willing.
2: I we would get tickets,
1: year. you know, through the station sometimes and that yep. kind of stuff, and I'd go do it. The first time we actually did it, his very first game, it was Notre Dame-West Virginia, and I believe it was it was either 01 or 02, but it was pouring down rain outside, oh, of brutal. course. <laughs> you know, so we've got the, you know, the the ponchos on and all that kind of stuff. We did it a few other times as well.
2: I, I wanted and, uh, to, like, I love going to games with yeah. my kid, like, we have a really good time, but it's a high of, like, 26, I think, today, and, like I said, my son I'm, has a soccer game indoors, he's like, I'm too like, old and can. spoiled
1: at this point, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like- not coming, I'm not coming out of a climate-controlled
2: <laughs> Seriously.
1: press box to sit with, you know, whoever out in the stands, I'll be like, you know, if, if I could get him tickets, I'd give him tickets, but hey, you want to take your friend? You know, whatever.
2: Right, absolutely. No, I'm not Not coming out of the press box. I was down with that. I'm like, hey, if you want to take a friend, he's like, dad, I got a game. I can't go. I'm like, okay, hey, oh, shucks, too bad. You know, but it's going to be – I don't think the weather is going to have a whole lot to do with the actual game play. Yeah. Once once you get out there, I mean, yeah, it's cold when you first walk out on this, you know, whatever. It's going to be fine. It's not – I don't believe it's not supposed to be snowing at the time of the game. It's just going to be cold and you suck it up and you deal with it. We've all played in the cold before. Some of those hits can be a little jarring at times for sure. Yeah. But it's the same for the other team as well. So, and they're from Boston. This is Northern Indiana. Everybody's used to playing in the cold. Shouldn't be a problem. I don't see the gameplay being much different.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I was at, we were, Jesse and I were talking about the weather forecast and everything on Thursday and I was talking about how I never really, like when I was in high school or whatever, never played in really cold weather like this. But as a broadcaster, I've called some games in cold weather. One of the first games, you know, one of the first seasons I did, there was a snowstorm in the playoffs and stuff. It was a lot of fun. It was cold. But, you know, and of course, I talked about how a couple of years ago when Mishawaka went to semi-state, they were playing in a snow game out there and then I was thinking like this would have been semi-state weekend or this is semi-state weekend they would have been playing in it again last night in the freezing cold and snow had they made
2: a lot lot of good outcomes by the way a lot of fun outcomes last night but yeah it would have been that it's not the day to be a sideline reporter obviously uh you put me on the sideline a few times in the snow which is awesome of you appreciate that but (laughs) uh but yeah I mean look you just deal with it and and it kind of makes it can make the game more fun you're not going to see guys sliding around in the snow or anything. I think I believe <clears throat> based on the social media that I've seen, you know, the grounds crew got out there, cleared all the snow away and everything from the field. So that's not going to be an issue. There's still going to be snow round, you know. Right. I mean, it's going to be cold. There's going to you see your breath. It's going to be – thank goodness the sun will still be out from the back.
1: I hope we get at least some Chiefs. flurries during the game, though. I think it's, be you know, great. It's, it's always like – you know, there, there's a reason you remember the snow the snowball game of 1992, Absolutely. and you know this week was the 30th anniversary. You know, Reggie Brooks and you know all that kind of stuff. One, it was a great game, but two, anytime you have snow like that, it's like it like just the appeal, especially of like you know watching back sort of those highlights and stuff like that. But also when you're watching it on TV, you know, that's why. I like you know, I get why they moved that Buffalo Bills game. To the dome in Detroit, but at the same time, you'd remember it more if there was snow falling down in
2: bucket loads out there. Yeah, that would feel um, great. You know, yeah. But, I actually uh, looking at the weather report; <clears throat> there's supposed to be maybe some flurries during the game, so that could that could potentially happen. And I w- will also say that it'll be much sweeter since I'll be indoors.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
1: rtdb rtdb baby run the damn ball that's, absolutely you know, and that's what they should do say.
2: that's their strength anyway right i mean that's what they should yep. do play action pass all of those different kinds of things so you know totally fine make it happen play to your strength nothing wrong with that yep
1: so of course notre dame coming off of 35 32 up and down performance in their win over navy last week they led 35 to 13 at halftime then held on for dear life to finish off the victory we usually say, what did we learn last yeah. week? That's one of the first things that we talk about. Forget that. Just do this for me. Describe last week's game in one word for me.
2: Inconsistent. And and that's, <clears throat> I mean, it's a tale of two halves, right? It's, I mean, the inconsistency was glaring. I mean, they they were firing on all cylinders in the first half. They were executing at a high level. They were doing all the things that they needed to do. And I when I say they, I mean players and coaches, right? I mean, they were all yep. executing at a high level. And then they just swapped out jerseys with a with a brand new team and a brand new coaching staff. And it was just bad. I mean, it was just bad. It, it, and, you know, the more you go back and you look at the film and everything, it wasn't just the play calling, although that could have helped. It was a lack of execution. And I hate to jump on the bandwagon of Coach Freeman and his mantra, but it seemed like every single play, there was one or two guys that weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And it completely blew up the play. It was bad.
1: Just bad. I get it. I get it. You're drinking the Kool-Aid now of the whole execution thing, and I know it's why, true.
2: but it's my true. word
1: is bewildering, you know, you know, because to look so good for one half and then completely regress into a completely different team by halftime is bewildering. You know, like when you think, just when you think they've put some of this garbage behind them against lesser teams and all that stuff, Pine goes 14 of 16 in the first half, 234 yards, five total touchdowns, four through the air, one on the ground in the first 30 minutes. Yeah. The five touchdowns matched his previous three games combined. The four, you know, touchdown passes and, and the rushing touchdown. The 234 yards in the first half alone would have been the third highest passing total for a game in his career. Let me say this, because, at, you know, I, I realize a coach, you know, Tommy Reese, Marcus Freeman, whoever can sit there and go, well, we had the right place called. They just didn't get him executed. And like you're saying, well, one or two guys each play. Okay. I get that to an extent. I can forgive that again for, for two, maybe even three series, but where are the adjustments where you go, okay, these things aren't working. Now we have to try something different. They didn't do that. And that's my fault. Like my fault with, with, with the plan, you know, their, their failure to adjust, to give them simpler things to do. i I talk about 21 personnel, all the time. Look at what happened when they ran 21 personnel. The very few times that they did it, all those plays were successful. And when, when Navy is committing eight, nine guys rushing and they're clogging up the run lanes, obviously. They're you know, they're getting in Drew Pine's face, they sack him five times. If you have two running backs and and pick your two of the three, because any of the three can do, whether it's Tyree, Diggs, or Estime. If you give him basically your one, you're you know you're you're not max protecting on the line, but you're still giving him extra protection in the backfield with those two, and you're also giving him two safety valves, you know, to leak out, you know, whether it's screens, you know, little flares, whatever. You're giving him places to throw. You're giving him a hot receiver. You know, look at what happened when he got the pressure in his face in the first half, and he hits Audra Kestame for a thirty-yard touchdown pass. I think twenty-six of it was yak. You know, yards after catch so yeah I get it you can you can always fall back on execution but as the coach when what you're giving them is not working you've got to make adjustments to simplify things as far as possible until you find something that works I'm sorry 20 plays for negative two yards in the second half is not just execution there's there's blame to go around on all sides
2: oh and I agree with you there is absolutely blame to go around on all sides the problem is it just it felt very much like, no matter what they called, it wasn't going to matter. I mean, I, I to be honest with you, because we've seen Drew Pine try to throw a screen pass; he sucks at it. He <laughs> I mean, can't. He can't execute. Sometimes,
1: I mean, he sometimes you hit him. I, you know, exactly. it'd be nice if you were better than fifty percent completing a simple screen pass.
2: <laughs> All I'm saying, I, I mean, he might
1: be thirty percent on screen passes. It's but
2: still. poor. It is very poor. Now they yeah. didn't call any to see if he could do it right. And listen. I coached high school football for a long time. I called plays for a really long time. When you are in a position to call plays, and literally no matter what you call, it doesn't get executed, it is like banging your head against the wall. I'm yeah. not saying that that is 100 the case because you are dealing with Division One athletes. You should be able to call some stuff that actually gets executed.
1: And I mean, honestly, this is we're not just talking about Division One athletes. You know, like as as Mac Brown pointed out after the North Carolina game, and I, you know, I think it's even more appropriate now, like, like when you see what Notre Dame did to North Carolina and to Clemson, this is a Notre Dame team that is recruiting in, you know, in the top six or seven in the nation. So we're talking about, you know, not the elite of Georgia, Alabama right now, but they're, they are in that next tier. They're right behind them. And you should, you should be, you know, you should expect more on on all levels, you know, like both with the execution, but also in your ability to adjust. To Absolutely. find things that'll work for well,
2: them. And, the, and the one thing that Notre Dame has not done well this season is adjusting at halftime. They haven't. They exactly. haven't done a very good job of that. No, exactly. and you're not going to get any argument from me on that. My other issue from a coaching standpoint is if your kids aren't executing, find somebody who will. Because some of the things that were going wrong, that were not executing well, properly, were not. But again, majorly Vince, easy thing. I mean, hard things to do. Right. Put somebody else in. Sit a guy for a series. What's wrong with that?
1: Well, or just put more running backs on the field instead of tight ends, you know, because that, there's the that running too. back, again, the running back group is the best position group that you have on offense. More of them is always going to be better to me. They can all block. They can all catch. They can all run. And, they, and if the running lanes like aren't there, the find a way game. to get the ball in their hand.
2: Eskime and Tyree
1: each had one catch. They each went for touchdowns in the first half. They didn't throw to them in the second Agreed. half.
2: Agreed. They can't block. They couldn't block in last game. They sucked at it. They were terrible. All three of them.
1: Well, but again, because they're you know your Navy's committing all these guys to the bot. You know all this again. There are different things that you can do with them, other than what they were doing. Fair enough. They didn't adjust.
2: Fair enough. And your your all American tight end sucked at blocking. Like there was a lot of sucking at blocking on Saturday. Last Saturday, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's not this Saturday.
1: You know, we went into the game talking about would they finally have a hundred yard receiver, and Brayden Lindsey five catches for sixty seven yards. Jaden Thomas three catches out real well. for eighty yards. Like the first half alone, it looked like they were going to yes, get two receivers with yes, hundred yards.
2: You and I were well, talking about it. We were texting each other. It's like, well, yeah. Guess that one hit, you know. And uh, lo and behold, it did not. Uh, did not hit. Not even close. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know. Again, you look at the the, the six second half possessions. Three plays, minus six yards. Three plays, four yards. Six plays, minus one yard. Three plays, eight yards. And that three plays for eight yards is when they actually converted the third and 15. When, you know, the one of the very few times that Navy didn't blitz in the second half, they drop eight into coverage instead. And Pine hits it. Three plays, one yard. Two plays, minus four yards. And again, 20 plays for negative two yards in the second half. And, you know, and... You know, again, like most of what Navy was doing in the second half had to do with bringing pressure, and they, you know, they they obviously blitz Drew Pine quite a bit. And in the first half, even when they did blitz some, not the same kind of blitzes I don't think they were doing in the second half, but like he was finding windows in the zone. You know, that's kind of been his Achilles most of the year. Is like is when teams do drop eight, right. but he was actually yeah. picking apart the zone with precision in and That's the first why
2: the Navy changed their game plan, or not change. Right, it, but they went they went all in on load the box, bring the blitz. Like they went all in on it because dropping eight wasn't working. Because yeah. Drew Pine for here's a here's a funny thing, Drew Pine forced Navy to adjust at halftime. And they went against what he was doing well, and they decided to blitz him and put all the pressure in his face. And, and again, that's a,
1: that's the thing they adjusted. Yes, Notre Dame didn't. Correct. And that's that's and, really the biggest knock I think on yes the staff as a whole, not just offense, not just EF, like I think the offense has been the worst at adjusting. Yeah. The defense, there are still some issues there with adjusting. And sometimes, you know, again, it's just like trying to get too cute. Like if things are working, you don't have to change it too much. Keep doing what you're doing. Sometimes they out-adjust themselves. But that's that's my biggest knock is the in-game adjustments. And this has been a, a, a program that has done that fairly well in the past. But that's, you know, that's that's the biggest thing I think they've got to catch up on I agree. at this point. My question Do the second half struggles to you completely override all the good things the Irish did in the first half?
2: No, because then you're just an overreacting fan. Because it it can't. (laughs) It can't, right? I mean, you have to. Look, if you told me that Drew Pine was going to sit and pick apart drop eight, that's great news. Because he hasn't been good at that up to this point. And he did a very good job of that in the first half, right? So you have to give credit where credit is due. He was very good in the first half. There were a lot of aspects of the team that were very good in the first half. You can't discount that like it didn't happen just because the second half is a more recent situation, right? You you have to take the good and the bad. It was all Still part of recency the same game.
1: bias, right? Still recency bias, right. even though it all happened within one game. It's just and you know I think I said the other day if like you would have had a bad first quarter, good second quarter, bad third quarter, good fourth quarter, then. It's a little easier to ingest I guess like if the result stays the same, but at least you know like again that to me would show well you're adjusting as the game went on or, you know you're 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 not just stuck in this one pattern and you're holding that would be a little bit easier to take but you know so so no it doesn't completely override everything good that happened in the first half but it, it again it 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 muddies things up quite a bit.
2: It does to a degree. I mean, there was a lot of good that happened in the first half. So, I mean, you have to talk about it, right? And it was all in the same game. And so you can talk about the good. You can talk about the bad. And I think both are appropriate from that game. Did you, is that a song there? The facts of Life. Oh, oh there, there you go. Well, Old played. 80s sitcom. Well, I know the facts of life, Judy. All right. All uh, right. So, no, there, there's a lot of good that happened. You can highlight the good that happened, but you have to talk about the bad. I mean, you have to. You have to talk about the bad, and I might even push more towards the bad than I do the good. And we talked about it during the week, Sean. If you flip flop the halves and you come out terrible in the first half, and then you're better in the second half, that too, again, that change your thought process a little bit. It does.
1: Bit? It does. Just, you know, like what I was saying, like if you intersperse it quarter to quarter, but you're exactly right. Like if you have a bad first half, any, you know, when you have that kind of lead against Navy. It's never supposed to be close again, when, or, or, or against you know any of the academies with their triple option right. offense. If you're playing a triple option team and you're up by 22 points, it should never be close again. Right. That is not an offense that's built to play catch up. Biggest favor Navy did was taking 10 minutes off the clock to yeah. start the second half and settling for a field goal. If they punch that in the end zone, we're having a completely different conversation. I think
2: absolutely, today. and I I actually think if you if you twist. The game, and you flip it from one side to the other, and they came out and they were horrible and had negative yards in the first half, and then just exploded in the second half. I think that's worse for the program, not for the game, but for the program, because yeah. that meant that Marcus Freeman didn't have this team ready to play. That's and true, so, too. So that would be a bigger red flag to me than what actually occurred because they were clearly ready to play. Now, you got to keep them playing the entire game, right? But our, one of our biggest questions going into the game is how are they going to respond after the big win against Clemson, right? I think they responded quite well.
1: For a half, they looked great. They and look then it's great. Just like everybody stopped. Yes. Was, you know, it was almost like, you know, like they had, you know, like we talked about going for the kill shot against Clemson. It was almost like, and I, obviously, we don't know exactly what their mentality is. And I'm talking about more from the coaching level than I am from the player level. But there is always that when you're playing Navy and it's Veterans Day weekend and the whole thing and Marcus Freeman obviously does have the veteran connection with his dad, career Air Force guy and all that kind of stuff. It's almost like you don't want to embarrass Navy, so you're not going to keep running right. up the score. So they were, right. you know, stuffing it a little bit, maybe trying to, you know, take some air out of the clock and just, you know, kind of work your way through and and be done with it. That kind of thing. There was definitely. Not the same kind of killer instinct on whatever level that you want to talk about.
2: No, I mean, my thought process watching the game was that they, you know, put the bag. They, they they stopped going for it, right? Because they had a very killer instinct in the first half. Like, I yeah. thought the, the clock management was excellent. You know, they went down and scored twice in the last few minutes of the game. Part of that was because Navy was stupid and did that reverse pass. But at the same time, they were calling timeouts the way they should. They scored twice. Like, it was, I was very happy. About that, to be honest with you, I was like, okay, they got that killer attitude, blah 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 blah. And the way when you go back and you watch the film, they were still going for kill shots in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, but they they were they were not executing them for a variety of reasons, right? But at that point, you need to adjust what you're calling because that just isn't working.
1: And again, right? you know, yeah, let's let's kind of finish up with this thought. I think the bigger picture question now is the blueprint potentially that Navy could have given Boston college and USC, you know, the, did they give them a blueprint that, you know, like the Irish, the same Irish attack ran for 263 yards against Clemson Mm -hmm. two weeks ago, Boston or uh, Navy shut that down in the second half. Did Navy give BC and USC a blueprint for success?
2: I hope that BC and USC come out and try to do exactly what Navy did because I think that Notre Dame will burn them in so many different ways because I just don't see, I don't see them succumbing to that kind of pressure more than once. I just don't. So I hope they do. I hope they put nine in the box and blitz the crap out of Notre Dame because I think that Notre Dame is going to make them pay because that number one, that's lazy coaching. If you're just going to do what Navy did, And I don't see that being the case necessarily by these two teams, but I hope they do do that because in in the first half of the season, it was drop eight. That's what you wanted to do against Notre Dame. That's what Navy did. And it burnt them. Right. Right. I hope they load the box and they do everything that they want to do. And if Notre Dame can't adjust, then that's on them, but they have the ability. They have the talent to do it. I hope that's what they do because I think that those games could get lopsided very quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, Navy blitzed Pine on nine of his 10 pass plays in the second half last week. They sent pressure with at least seven guys, eight of the 10 pass plays. The one play Navy didn't was the one that I talked about, the third and 15, where Pine hits Deion Colsey for a 21 yard game. They sacked him five times. He went three of five for 35 yards in the second half. Again, they blitzed him in the first half, but differently. It wasn't just, you know, load the box, bring the house and blitz you know, so bc usc neither one of them are just going to all of a sudden switch their defense and go everything's going to be a zero blitz we'll just bring pressure right. all day long zero blitz go for in it. in pine's face you know they're, they're not going to do that would you know will they blitz you know because one oh sure every coach you know like they'll see things and you know how this is it's like you oh, yeah. see things and every coach has their own plan they might say, well, we need to make sure that we blitz more often, something like that. I don't think that they're just going to load the box and, you know, bring all these all-out blitzes against Drew Pine and, you know, and, and see if that works. So I think we'll probably see more blitzes, which you should. But again, Drew Pine was successful against some of them in the first half. You still have to, you know, and again, some of it still comes down to play call because there were times in the second half where you've got receivers sitting there short, you know, whether it's a little dig or or a slant or whatever, but Drew Pine just didn't see him. Or if he did see him, he didn't make the throw. You know, so again, some of that's on him. But there were other times where the kind of routes that you're running were not conducive to helping, you know, set the quarterback up for success. I still say more running backs, fewer tight ends. Manipulate the box by getting, you know, don't don't just go 13 personnel and go, well, we're max protecting. Spread guys out more. Don't let Navy bring, you know, what they, or or any team, don't let them just bring more men into the box because you're starting off with more men in the box. Spread it out with more receivers or running back, you know, whoever you want, get more guys out in the formation to, to, to take more hats out of the box and make them have to cover because whether it's Navy last week, Boston College today, Notre Dame has man advantages absolutely against those guys all day long across the
2: board wide receivers tight ends get them out white running backs get them out in space and Notre Dame is going to have a lot of advantages there
1: that's right so now it is Notre Dame and Boston College and the Fighting Irish have won 18 consecutive games now in the month of November that streak continues do they remember, have won. Do you remember
2: the narrative that used to happen with Brian Kelly that he was terrible in November? I know. Do you remember that? We would talk about that a lot, about how poor Notre Dame was in November and all these different things. And that was all the way through 2016, really. And then, of course, the, the script got flipped when they changed everything. And since then, November has been an Irish month. It has. But before that, that was like the big narrative is Brian Kelly can't close and, and November is terrible. and Remember all that? Like, that yeah. was a. Huge no, absolutely. Line. The
1: only good November they had prior to 2017 was 2012, really, Be, you know, because obviously they ran the slate there and got to the BCS yeah. championship right, game. Right. Every other November was always just a mixed bag and they were all, you know, some head scratchers when they got into November and you're right. You know, just basically when he turned the program upside down after 2016 yeah. is is where everything flipped and you know, getting some of these different ACC teams in there has helped, but don't For forget, sure. included among those 18 consecutive November wins, a pair of wins over Clemson. So, you know, it's not like they're just beating, you know, pushovers in the month yeah. of November either. So,
2: good programs, and, and yeah. obviously, you've got USC every other year, and you know, all of these. So, yeah, I mean, November's been good to Notre Dame the last few years, it's fantastic. That's the way you if you're going to construct a team and you want you know you want to talk about how they're playing you want to be better down the stretch you want to be better at the end than you were at the beginning right so yeah i i think that this is great i mean and they have an opportunity to extend that and they've got two well they've got one tough game to make sure to keep that streak intact
1: right right they've won 4 Consecutive senior day games, of course, 27 straight against ACC teams, eight straight against Boston College as well. So a lot of trends oh,
2: yeah. in Notre Dame's
1: favor going into this game. They beat them 40-7 to in South Bend three years ago, 45-31 at Boston College back in two, uh, 2020. If Notre Dame beats B- BC, Vince, should Marcus Freeman's first season be considered encouraging Considering it didn't turn into a complete dumpster fire after the losses to Marshall and Stanford.
2: <laughs> I, yes. I mean, it can be encouraging. I just wouldn't want, I would reserve judgment until the USC game is over, if I'm being honest. You still honest. don't
1: want to lower your expectation. Right.
2: Basically. Because if they, you know, they, they dominate BC, which they should do, right? I mean, on paper, Notre Dame should dominate BC, period. Right. But if they go lay an egg against USC, I'm rethinking that comment you know what I mean so encouraging is if they went out absolutely right encouraging absolutely because he did turn it around and it, it's still hard for me to justify losing to Stanford in October right right but at, but at the same time you know you finished strong you did what you needed to do down the stretch those are all good things but yeah I mean they, they should take care of business against Boston College you know a home team all right it's a home game it's senior night senior day i guess uh and and bc is not a good football team they, they have what three wins something along those lines like they they, they should this should not be a game
1: neither were marshall and stanford though.
2: i agree with you but they've mo- hopefully moved on from that which is the, and point this of the is, question right well they, you know and again moved like, on
1: we were sitting there after they lose to marshall they beat north carolina they beat by byu we're talking about okay maybe the the corner has been turned then here comes stanford and that yeah. happens. And yeah. now well, you're right. Like, you know, they they at least followed that with a win over UNLV. Another bad team. But this is still like if you're looking at how things have happened this season, BC is no different than Marshall and Stanford. They should have beaten both of those teams. They didn't. We're at a different point in the season. Now, obviously again, you know, we're much later in the season, the last home game of the regular season, one yeah. of two games remaining in the regular season. So, you know, like I guess as you know, as as we spin this into this week, what it needs to look like to make us feel good about Notre Dame heading to USC next week, this needs to be a convincing game okay. where it is not close throughout. I mean, that's that's honestly what it needs to look like because this is a bad Boston College team. Now their offensive line is coming together a little bit and some things like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Phil Dracovic and, and stuff here in in just a second, you know, I did see a question about him come up, but it needs to be a convincing win. It, it it should not be sloppy by any means. We should not see stupid false start penalties by the offensive line in the home stadium, and that's still where most of those have come up this season, have been at home. Should not see that. You know, we shouldn't see a team uncharacteristically turning the ball over. What You know, they've done a better job of that, really, since, you know, Estime stopped fumbling. Yeah. you know it's that's that's been night and day different so it, it it to me it should just be a game where there's no doubt who the better team is today
2: absolutely agree with you and they need to put together a full game right start to finish you know I'm not I'm not asking for Stanford level intensity but I am ask I mean excuse me Clemson level intensity but I am asking for Clemson level focus that is what they need from start to finish, whistle to whistle. That I mean, they clearly didn't do – they did it for a half last week, but they couldn't do it for a full game. If they do that for a full game, this is going to be a three-score or more game. It just is. It, from a talent-level standpoint, from all the things that Notre Dame has advantage-wise over BC, if they can do that for an entire game, it should be a three-score game,
3: period. Yep. It right.
2: should be right around where the line is. Should. Should is the keyword.
1: But again, remember – They've not covered a double-digit spread all season. 0-5. 0-5, baby. Rob, all they asked for is a complete game today. Yeah. I think that's what everyone wants to see. Hugh predicting a big game for Estimate, Mayor, and especially Tyree. That would be interesting because Tyree has kind of disappeared again for the last Ah, five or six weeks. It really is. To have a talent like that and to see, you know, like when uh, when this came up at the beginning, of, you know, after the first couple of games, where's Tyree? Where's Tyree? They got the ball to Tyree and the offense looked a heck of a lot different when they did. But again, that's disappeared. And, and that's, I just, I you know, I don't know if it's because of depth or because they, you know, Tommy Reese thinks they can do other things, but when you have Tyree and one of those Mm -hmm. other two backs on the field at at the same time, there's so many mismatches you cause, you know, and like you hear these guys like the analysts and stuff talking about manipulating the defense and Mm -hmm. making them, you know, move their eyes when these guys start moving around and guys that you have to account for. That's a big factor when you've got 25 on the field and one of those other guys at the same time. and, And they just aren't taking advantage of that anymore.
2: Yeah, and that there, there's, I'm, you know, I, I'll give a lot of, and it sounds like excuses for the coaching staff or the players or whatever, but there's no excuse for not having Chris Terry on the field and using him and what his skill set brings you. There, there's, there's just no reason, and it's very frustrating to see game in and game out that they just can't or won't, I'll say won't, they won't use him in the offense the way he's meant to be used. Right, right. He's not the between the tackles guy. Yes, you can run him between the tackles from time to time. If it's a, if you have an advantage in the box and, you know, that kind of a thing. Okay, that's fine because he makes one guy miss. He's probably taking it to the house. Okay, but what about a buck sweep? Some outside zone, putting him in in motion, getting him into the slot. You know, all of those different things, the two back sets like you you talk about all the time. Just use the man.
1: Just when you have a defense... That is keyed up on your run game and you put Estime and Tyree in the backfield together at the same time, and you you know, like you you show, you know, like a play fake to Audric Estime, and then Tyree flares out the other way, that's gonna go for fifteen yards guaranteed every time. I guarantee you. Yeah. Because one, they don't use it that much. You start doing that, I just
2: it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating because it seems like it's so obvious and that it's right there in front of us so why is it not right there in front of Tommy Reese and the offensive staff I just I don't know if I was dealing McCullough I would be fired because I would be going into Reese's office daily and asking why is 25 not getting the ball more out of the backfield yes why yes
1: Jeremy hopes that Xavier Watts gets more playing time this week I mean Xavier Watts when he's played has looked good, but. There's and you know, BC's gonna throw the ball around more. Right,
2: you, <laughs> you know, go. it was so,
1: still, you know, that's why we haven't talked much about the defense because exactly. it's a one-off playing the triple option unless you're gonna end up playing Air Force in a bowl game or something. You know, it's like it's I, like you just no, can't no, no, no. put too much into that. He's he played exceptionally well did. last year, he, had, week, he had but, like
2: eight tackles or something like that. But remember, yeah. he also played very, very well against the option last year. He's really good at coming downhill and making tackles because he's a very physical player. His his issue which is getting better, is in the pass game. They're not playing the triple option. So there's going to be things that you're going to see that are different. And and somebody else had also mentioned, I don't know if I started or not, but they're they're saying, you know, if Marist's play continues to be bad, then he has to be sat. He was bad because he was playing against an offense that he should not have been playing against. And I said that a hundred times. This is completely different. They have figured out how to use Marist against traditional offenses. That's where he needs to be. But the injury to J.D. Bertrand forced him to play a lot more and forced him to play on the inside where he's just not yeah. good.
1: Assignment not. football is not his strength. No. His his strength is being able to use his athleticism and just reacting. You know, being, being assignment sound against a triple option offense, Not Maris foul strength. No,
2: he should not have even seen the field last week. And Brian and I kind of battled on that back and forth. At the very least, he shouldn't have been in the middle. OK, you yeah. should have been on the outside. But It's also
1: tough because you don't have J.D. Bertrand right. and you've got yeah, to you play somebody. And they gave Jalen Sneed made his debut. Yeah. And he was he was solid out there. And we're going to see more Jalen Sneed. It sounds like yeah, as, it it'll be interesting with Bertrand back. Like what that looks like. Could we see Sneed right more instead of Marist? I don't know. But, right. you know, so this, be, because yeah. of the whole, you know, the red shirt, you know, you don't. Last week was the first of the last four games, including the bowl game. So right. you can see a lot more Jalen Steed and Jabron Payne, who was back there as the off kickoff return man last week as well.
2: No, absolutely. And I you have to take last week's defensive performance in a vacuum, right? We can nitpick missed tackles. We can nitpick, you know, certain things. But this does not translate to playing a regular offense. And so you have to, you know, you have to go off of all the other games as opposed to this game if you're talking about sitting guys and less, you know, playing time and it's just it's a one-off and that's just the way it is
1: right Steinby said he'd love to see them just accept pine as pine lean heavily on the run again own the clock rotate all three backs all day long working in a few sporadic passes to keep the eagles defense i mean honest.
2: to a degree i get what you're saying but you can't just be a run team you have to be able to throw the ball i mean it, even bc can load the box and stop the run yeah right and Notre Dame has had success running the ball against loaded boxes. They, they've been okay at it, right? They did a good job against it, uh, you know, against Clemson. But that's not always going to work. You have to be able to throw the football. You have to.
1: Like Jason asked, with Minchie on campus, will Tommy Reese's game plan be more pass-heavy, or will he stick to the bread-and-butter run game? Uh,
2: you can't change your game plan based on a recruit that's in the recruit state being school. in town. That's yeah, right. Sorry,
1: the game plan has to be what the game plan is. What you think is going to be this is, successful. We I can mean, all disagree or agree yeah. on you know what is right. or isn't yeah. successful. What we think should be. But right,
2: right, right, right. No, and, and here's the thing, Kenny Minchie, If we're talking about him specifically, him coming in uh, in you know on campus, this it's a formality. Right? It's a formality. He decommitted from Pitt, and I, this, I'm echoing Brian's words. He decommitted from Pitt with an idea of what he's doing next. Okay? And it's no coincidence that he's coming to Notre Dame immediately. All right? You don't change your game plan based on a guy that you pretty much have in the bag.
1: Yeah. A couple super chats here real quick from the same person. I think his question got kind of cut off or something. For all the ups and downs of the season and all the burn the whole thing down after Marshall... And after Stanford, if we win, would it be more or less satisfying than if we would have, say, beat Marshall in Stanford and lost to Clemson and USC? So because you lost to Marshall in Stanford, I think what he's saying is if you beat Clemson and USC, will it be more satisfying in nope,
2: the end? it will not be because they didn't <laughs> win the games they were supposed to win. I mean, it's great that they won the big games. It's great. I mean, it's great. But you didn't win the games you're supposed to win, so it's not more satisfying. It's if if they would have if they would have won the games they were supposed to win and they lost to Clemson and USC, I'd still be disappointed. I mean, I just would be.
1: And if they had, if they end up beating Clemson and USC, but they lost to Marshall and Stanford, you've cost yourself a college football playoff berth. Right. Because that's they brutal. would be in the mix right now. They would that be sitting brutal. probably ahead of LSU right now, and LSU is of course number six this week. Right. So that's. So yeah, I mean. At least you can say there is some encouragement and you moved on from that and showed progress. Part of the whole mix of this as well that I think I brought up earlier this week is we still do have to remember that Drew Pine as a starting quarterback is 7-1 and right now. So like for all the frustration you have with Drew Pine, his strengths, his weaknesses, his ups and downs and the whole thing, that guy is 7 and 1 as a starting quarterback. True. So I think you do kind of have to keep that in your mind. So to do, you know, to be able to beat Clemson and USC with that guy, even though you're frustrated by what happened early in the season, there would at least be room for encouragement finishing off the season. Sure. But yeah, it doesn't make it more satisfying, I don't think. Right.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: Uh come on, Weir, Marshall. I mean, come on talking the other day about how I made Jesse become a Cowboys fan. There was, there was a question from a guy who said, I've got all these family members who are USC fans. How do I keep my son a, a Notre Dame fan? And I said, well, he lives in your house. So to start with, even if, you know, you get the USC gifts or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you just send that to Goodwill, you know? So I didn't necessarily make Jesse become a Dallas Cowboys fan. I just ensured, I played a little defense made sure he wasn't going to become a Washington Redskins fan which was you know my dad was trying to push on him so you know dad lived in you know different state different town the whole thing and he would send the Washington gear and it's like no that's not happening so i didn't i didn't force it upon him right but i made sure to emphasize you know we watched cowboys games every sunday we watched notre dame games on saturdays
2: i mean it is what it is yeah you know my even my daughters they can pick, you know, my, when they were babies. They could pick out Notre Dame, the Cubs. You know, they they knew what I was watching. Daddy, you watching the Cubs? Game? Yeah, I am. Why don't you have a seat next to me? Let's watch together. You know, that's how you work. That's how it goes. That's right.
1: And we are not Marshall. I know. I know you were. I know you were playing. But I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just explaining. I'm just explaining.
2: Part of my job <laughs> is calling CPS. I've done it numerous times, and there is not a box to check about sports. Anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so By the way, no thank you, Cameron. There.
1: Thank you, Cameron, for the compliment. And and Vince yes, is Cameron. fired up. Today. Vince is fired up.
2: It's the sweatshirt, man. I throw it the on, I become on. a new man. That's right. Uh,
1: so just some kind of going down the list. Brandon Joseph doubtful doesn't sound like he's going to play with that high ankle sprain, and especially like when it's cold and stuff. And yeah. like I don't think there's any reason to push it. JD Bertrand's 100%. Freeman says he'll play. Missing last week with a groin injury. Jack Kaiser. Expected to play as well. So everyone wants to know about Phil Drakovic now. Uh, as we look yes. at Boston College, Jeff Halfley, of course, the head coach, the former Ohio State defensive coordinator. And I mean, they're not where I thought they would be in year three under Jeff Halfley, especially when you consider you do have Phil Dracovic. You know, they went six and five at his first season, six and six went to the military bowl last year. And now they're three and seven coming into today after knocking off NC State. And of course, you've got the John McNulty connection. Former Notre Dame tight ends coach, left here, becomes their offensive coordinator, first time as an offensive coordinator. They're running the ball for just 61 yards a game, which is last in the nation, and 39 sacks allowed, which ranks 126th out of 131, and scoring just 19 points a game. Offensive line has been a mess all season. They've rushed for over 100 yards, and that was against uh, twice. That was against Maine and Louisville. And now this is supposed to be the Phil Dracovic homecoming. Yep. Of course, Phil behind Ian Book for two years. Then he transferred to Boston College after the 2019 season, which that was the same season as Halfley's first year. It was seen as a huge feather in Boston College's cap to get the you know former four-star recruit and all that. Um, injury-riddled the last two years, he's played only eight games this season. He's missed their last two concussion protocol. He's also got like some problems with the back of his rib cage. And I think the other one, what, what, what was the other injury? There was another got, one like a right knee as well. Yeah. Halfway like went through like a laundry of things, yeah. you know, that are wrong with it. You know, the offensive line is horrible. Djokovic alone has been sacked 25 times this season. The, you know, both quarterbacks combined have been sacked 39 times this season. So uh, the answer to the question is, no, we don't know if he'll play. I would, and I'm sure Jeff Hafley would say this. I'm sure, you know, Phil Jakovic is going to say it. He's going to do everything that he can to try to get out there on the field today. Don't you agree?
2: A hundred percent. I mean, he, he's probably in his last year at BC, I would imagine. And he's going to, you know, he wants to play at Notre Dame Stadium. And that was always his dream growing up as a kid. He just didn't think that he would have this gold helmet on instead of the one that the home team is going to be wearing. So yeah, he wants to play. and you know, you can say what you want about Phil. He's one of the toughest guys that I can remember from a quarterback position. He's a tough kid. And if he's walking and he can convince coach Halfley to put him on the field, he's going to play. So I fully anticipate seeing him. I don't know if he'll start or what, how much, you know, he'll be out there, you know, from a competition standpoint, the dude wants to play. And I, I think he's going to get a fairly warm reception if I'm being honest from Notre Dame stadium. And, you know, unless he goes out there and wins the game for him, but you know, I I anticipate seeing number five at some point during this game.
1: As Tommy, you know, Tommy was saying, making the kids watch the Cubs—talk about child abuse. My son, you know, Jesse grew up a Cubs fan, yeah. and I didn't make him watch Cubs. You know, like we would watch the Cubs in this house. I, I like the Cubs, but you know, I'm not—I don't consider myself like diehard like you or or right. Jesse for that matter. He, you know, he full fledged into the cubs and there were a lot of years like we would go to those games and he would cry he's like why do the cubs lose all the time and i'm like you know (laughs) ask that guy a hundred years ago because he's crying he was crying about the same thing you're
2: crying about right now (laughs) just made 2016 that much more sweet all right that's right that's
1: right um so back to phil though you know we can play the what if game vince what if phil jacovic had stayed at notre dame
2: you know it Phil Dracovic is I mean he's a good he's a good quarterback right I mean he was I remember watching him in high school when he came to Notre Dame and he was with his seven on seven team and they were at camp and they were they won the championship in Notre Dame Stadium and I was super excited about getting him to South Bend you know I, I think he's a good quarterback right you know is he better than Drew Pine yeah he's better than Drew Pine so I mean if he was here he'd probably be the start well if you have to go back, I, he might have been out of eligibility. I can't even. I can't do all the math with where things would be. Right? He probably would have been the starting quarterback last year for sure. They would not have gone out and gotten uh, Cone. I think. I think uh Phil would have been the starting quarterback. So and the problem
1: but, is he obviously didn't want to wait that long, right? You know, and he was, I, and he was I get getting it. frustrated with where he was.
2: Yeah, I get it. And he didn't have the best relationship with some of the people here. And okay, I get that too. You know, that's why kids transfer. Right. And, and we see it all the time. And we've seen kids transfer in the middle of the season this year. Right. So I I just, I think he would have started last year. If he comes back this year, he probably would have been starting again. He would probably be a two-year starter for Notre Dame. And, you know, you can, you can guess as to what the wins losses would be, but he would be starting over what they have right now.
1: And that's, you know, like, again you know, so he's backing up Ian book, obviously in 2019, And, you know, even, I guess, what would that be? Was he here in 2018? Yeah, he would have been here. Yeah, he was here in 2018 as well. So he's backing up Ian Book for a couple years. But what's interesting, like, Ian Book, Jack Cohn, Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine have a combined pass efficiency rating of 155.18 in that stretch from 2020 through this season your passing efficiency rating in that same stretch is 132.71 so their combined pass efficiency even with drew pine and what he's done this year is 23 points higher than what phil jacovic has been able to produce and like when you look at wins and losses i mean 2020 they go 10 and 0 in the regular season with ian book get to the college football playoff last year 11 and 1 you know and they just miss out on the college football playoff so you know it's like would he have been the starter you would expect that he would have by last year but as far as on the field with the exception of maybe this year because then you know he's potentially a, a second year starting quarterback this year like it's hard to envision a world where Notre Dame is appreciably better with Phil Jakovic than what they ended up having the last couple of years
2: I see what you're saying I think it's also comparing apples to oranges because of the supporting cast that he has around him, Boston College.
1: But again, like I, they went I'm ten sorry. and zero with Ian Book. That's they great. They went eleven and one That's with great. Jack. You know Culley. what? So, there's like...
2: a lot of quarterbacks you could have put behind center, and they go ten and zero in twenty. No, I know, I know. You don't like a either terrible one. Terrible schedule. That you that love ten-
1: It so. has nothing
2: to do with who the quarterback was. <laughs> I'm talking about the schedule that they played. They, there's a lot of people that would have gone ten and zero in that schedule. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But
1: my point is, Phil Djokovic, Jack Cone, whoever it happens to be, like what? It, it wasn't going to get that much better just by having Phil Djokovic. Do they beat Cincinnati? You know, I guess that's the biggest question. That's the only, you know, like
2: I see what you're saying. No, look, it wasn't that saying. much they, more they of a ceiling loss. to go to. They have one loss, right, in the regular season between twenty and twenty-one. I get what you're saying, hundred percent. I'm just saying, comparing the stats is apples to oranges because of what he has around him. There, There's no quarterback that's going to be successful behind the offensive line that they have at Boston College. Fair. Fair. That I mean, that that's all I'm saying.
1: I think the bigger question is, you know, because of who the offensive coordinator was the last three years, because it would have been Tommy Reese. Sure. How was he going to build that offense? Because, like, when, when Phil got to Boston College, they were completely willing – you know, and again, you've got a first-year head coach. You've had a different offensive coordinator back then. But they were completely willing to let him play to his strengths, which was not the case, it seemed like, based on how things were laid out at Notre Dame when sure. he was here. Like, yeah, you agree I agree with that?
2: that. I do agree with that. Yeah. I, I don't think he was allowed to be himself. Like, we talked about when he played in the spring game, right, and he struggled in the spring game because he wasn't allowed to play like he plays, right? They were calling – sacks when there was a guy in the vicinity he wasn't allowed to get out of the pocket he wasn't allowed to do a lot of the things that make Phil who Phil is right and so I think there was a distorted view of how good he could have been as a quarterback right because he wasn't allowed to do it so I you know who knows what it would have been like if he was here but I think you make a very good point that I don't know that the offense would have been tailored around what he does well
1: yeah because he's
2: not a pocket quarterback right he never has been he never will be right right remember what year was it was it 2020 when he led boston college to a bunch of comeback wins and they were beating yeah. a bunch of ranked His first teams? year there yeah that was all phil like he yeah. was doing that by himself you know and i was thinking my like, man that would be awesome to have him in a notre dame uniform while notre dame's going undefeated right granted so he just He's a playmaker, but I don't know that he would have been allowed to make plays at Notre Dame. I think right. he would have been hamstrung. So that's right. a really good point.
1: So if he can't go today, it's going to be Emmett Moorhead, redshirt freshman. He played in two games last year. He's played in eight games this season, completing 58% of his passes, minus two rushing yards. Again, those quarterbacks are just getting beaten up. Now, their offensive line is supposedly playing better, even though they've still given up five sacks in each of the last three weeks. So,
2: I mean, that's the bar separating on a low. curve, right? Yeah, the bar is set pretty. They're playing better. They're not failing
1: anymore. Like. No place to go but up, basically. <laughs> so
2: they are playing better. I will give them that. They are playing better. Yes. Right.
1: Then of course you've got George Takis also coming back to Notre Dame. He transferred after last year. And he's having a career year. 24 catches, 248, yeah. 248 yards. I mean,
2: great decision. He had right eight
1: here. total catches for 78 yards in yep. three seasons at Notre Dame. Now he would have been another great blocking tight end for Notre Dame this season, but But he went to me. He got what he was looking for. I think, you know, at least the ability to catch the ball.
2: Well, and he, he got what he was looking for in that. He's the number one tight end there. Right. Exactly. I mean, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to be the number one tight end. He deserved to be the number one tight end. And the problem is nobody in the country is better than Michael Mayer. And you're not going to be ahead of him no matter what you do. So leaving was absolutely the right decision for him. And I think it's paid off. Like he's got good film now. He has an opportunity to get drafted, you know, maybe one of the lower rounds or whatever. And he still has that Notre Dame tight end U background, right? But then on top of that, he actually has some stats, yeah. which is different for That's, tight ends. I think Notre it's going to
1: give him a chance to have an NFL career, basically, to right. show Absolutely. what he's done. I so think it, 100%
2: know. made the right decision. And I, yeah. I'm actually excited to see him play today. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's always been one of my favorite guys
1: their defense is decent. They give up 157 rushing yards a game, 4.1 per carry, 209 passing yards a game. So, you know, teams aren't just moving the ball at will against them. And again, it's that that's going to be the key is what sure. Notre Dame can do against this defense. Notre Dame's defense against BC, on paper it's a total mismatch. Oh yeah. When you look at it. Now, they do have Zay Flowers who can make some plays, decent receivers, but Notre Dame should be able to get after um jerkovic or moorhead you know whichever quarterback it happens to be back there the bcd you know this again it's 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 the biggest question what what's tommy reese and and company and drew pine and company going to be able to do against this defense
2: absolutely and that's i mean let's be honest that's the question we ask going into every game is what is this offense going to be like when they take the field right? Are they going to be the first half team against Navy? Are they going to be the second half team against Navy? Or are they going to be something in between, right? We The offense is the biggest enigma of this team all season. The defense has at least been steady, right? They, they, they've had issues. They've given up, you know, long drives at the end of games that, you know, there's certain things that, of course, they can work on and get better at, but they've at least been steady. The offense has either been really good, really bad, someplace in the middle. You just don't know. This is a great matchup for Notre Dame. It should be a great matchup for Notre Dame, whether they want to run the ball or whether they want to throw the ball. They should be able to do what they want to do. Is the game going to be called correctly? Is the game going to be executed correctly? It's game 11, and we don't know the answer to that. And that's <laughs> that's the problem. I think that's, like, if there was, like, yeah, the 2022 20, season, we just don't know. Like, I think that's, like, that's the tagline for this whole season. I mean, I, we just we just don't know.